Welcome tonight. Thank you for being here. Um, if you were here on Sunday, you know that Pastor Ken is well on his way. I actually heard from him last night. He made it to Amsterdam, uh, and the Russia team is over there doing their work. So continue to keep them in your prayers. Um, but as he's out of, of the country, he asked me to just step in and fill in tonight. So uh, I'm trusting that God has a word that he wants to share with all of us uh, tonight. So I um, kind of want to, to start with just uh, pointing you somewhere else, actually. <laughs> I've entitled this message, Being Responsible with Grace. And the way that we got here was, um, if you were here for Pastor Ken's series on seeing Jesus from Genesis to Revelation, he kind of gave an overview of... Uh, every book of the Bible, actually. And as God kind of gave me this passage, he uh, instructed me to, to kind of go back and listen to that again. And, and if you go back and listen, I want to encourage you to go back. It's about a 45-minute message, but really gives a really big overview of how we get up to this point, this last chapter in Galatians. Um, really, the message of Galatians, uh, really, Paul is communicating through the whole thing is that we are saved by grace and not by works. He gives tons of different examples about it's, it's faith. It's not our works. Our works is not what saves us. Uh, and gave a key verse on that, Galatians 5.1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Uh, several times he mentions of uh, things of, you started out well, but, but what happened? Where are you now? Um, there's multiple reminders of do not be deceived, do not be deceived. Um, but I once heard it called uh, by another pastor, actually, that the reason they call it deception is because you don't know that it's happening. Um, none of us is going to go out there and just decide to go down a path that's the wrong way. Um, if, if I'm on my way home tonight and I take a wrong turn, uh, it's not going to be on purpose. I've gone to my house several times. But sometimes, even when we're striving to do good, sometimes we are deceived. And, and Paul gives several reminders along the way um, that kind of give us ways to detect, um, that we can detect deception in our own lives. Uh, and one actually really spoke, spoke really clearly to me this weekend in studying. But in, in Galatians 1.6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Um, we'll start with really basic things. One way to, de to detect deception, uh, if you're following a different gospel, uh, if you are trusting in something other than the death and resurrection of Jesus, then um, you're, you're being deceived. Later on, Galatians 4.15, what then has become of your blessedness? Or as Pastor Ken noted in his uh, overview of Galatians was, where's your joy at? And, and this one really hit home for me, uh, probably, probably because a lot of times, I guess probably only being married for the short amount of time that I have, sometimes I, I don't heed the instruction of my wife. And I don't heed the instruction until several people that I work with start saying the same thing. And then I'm kind of like, I've heard that before. Um, but that's a big thing. Have you guys, have you lost your joy? Has someone ever come up to you and said, you don't seem joyful? You, you don't seem happy? Where's your joy gone? Uh, and the point of that is, is if, if we've lost our joy, then it's possible that we've been deceived. That again, we're, we're following a different gospel. We're not, we're not trusting in what we should be. Uh, and then the last one that I'll mention here is in Galatians 5, 7, when he says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And that kind of follows this whole thing. Starting well is good. The reason that these guys got saved is because a divine revelation uh, given to Paul. Um, he explains the gospel. Um, the Holy Spirit comes in power, and, and all these people are getting saved. So they started well, but we can't end it. We have to finish well. You know, we can look at several different examples of, of starting well is good. Um, 
You can look at this last Sunday's game in New Orleans with the Seahawks. Starting well is good, um, but you must also finish well. And so after these, these ways to kind of detect deception, that's kind of how we get here. We get to chapter 6. So as the book comes to a close, Paul gives us some ways that we are to respond. Uh, so kind of want to intro into that, and then you can see our passage is, is Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Uh, so I want to read over that, and we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into this. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us. Lord, and I thank you that um, tonight is not based upon me. Lord, I, I thank you that um, you have a message that you want to, to share with all of us. God, you want to share it with me. You want to share it with everyone who's here. And Lord, and we just trust that our, our hearts and our ears will be open to hearing your message, that it wouldn't just be hearing, that you would prompt us to respond. God, that um, tonight wouldn't just be another thing that we do, but we would walk away from here and there would be uh, practical applications that are made uh, from spending time studying your word together. Lord, so I ask right now, Lord, that you would just fill me with your spirit. I ask that you would give me the ability to, as your word says, correctly handle your word. Lord, we don't want to take things out of context. We don't want to add things in. We don't want to leave things out, but we want to teach it exactly for what it says. Lord, so God, we give you this time. I thank you for the people that are here. I thank you for this time you've given us, Lord, um, and we just praise you in advance for what you're going to do tonight, God. So we just give you all the glory, and we just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll kind of go through each, each one of these verses, and then at the end we'll talk about some applications, what we can take away from this. But verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. First of all, when it says caught in transgression, it's not the same as living an act of rebellion. That's not what he's talking about. There's a whole other way that we're to deal with people who are actively in rebellion, um, really denying Christ, and that's a whole other story. This is somebody who is, who is caught in sin. Um, as I said, sometimes when we're, we're striving to follow the Lord, sometimes we get caught up in something. We don't realize that it's happening. So it says, when someone is caught in sin, what are we to do? We are to restore him. And I've got a slide here, and you may wonder what in the world it is and why it's there. Um, I just thought you'd want to see my ribcage, actually. So... Um, you can see, if you're in the medical field, you can kind of see what happened. But basically, right above my elbow, it broke here and here, and then a whole chunk of it broke off. Um, but the reason I say that is because the word for restore here, that's what it means, is to set a broken bone. So when I read that, it was kind of, I had some, a real good frame of reference. Because 
if you've ever broken a bone, you know the excruciating pain, and you know when it comes to setting the bone, um, you want somebody who's going to be delicate with you. So it says, when, we, when, when a brother is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. And so what to do? We're to restore them. Who is to do it? You who are spiritual. What this means, every believer, once we come, we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. However, not every believer is being led by the Spirit or is walking in the Spirit. And in the same way that I didn't want just someone off the street to come and set my arm and get it back in the right spot, um, it's important that we're not reckless with people. When there's somebody caught up in sin, again, we're not talking something about who's in active rebellion. They're aware of their sin. They know they're in the wrong. And they need to be handled with, with gentleness, with care. And so it's important that it's those who are spiritual, those who not only have the Holy Spirit, but those who are being led and are walking in the Holy Spirit. And the reason that is, is because those are the people usually that are doing it with gentleness and humility. They're not doing it with, I'm going to come fix this thing. You know, the last thing I wanted to do was somebody to come in and just put all sorts of tools and contraptions and just move it and do whatever he wanted to. You know, I wanted somebody who was going to be, be careful and the last part of that is keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Same thing. Those who are being led by the Holy Spirit, who are walking in the Holy Spirit, they're aware of their own tendency to sin. So they can, they can approach someone with care. If we're being led by the Spirit, we can go to someone and gently correct them, gently restore them. And going back to the whole idea of the broken arm, what's the goal of the person who's setting my broken arm? It's healing. It's restoration. It's not so that um, he can show me how good of a doctor he is. It's not, so, um, it's not for any other reason. The end, end result is that uh, the bone would be fully restored. And so that's the first thing. That's the, f- the first instruction. When someone's caught in a transgression, those who are spiritual, and on another point on that, that doesn't mean that if you're not being led by the Spirit or that you're not walking in the Spirit, that, sh- that, that you're out. Like, that's, if that's where we are, then we need to get back in that, that place of being led by the Spirit and walking with the Spirit because that is the call to us as believers to, to help uh, one another. So it kind of expounds on that. Verse 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And this is really interesting because bear one another's burdens is not the same as let me take care of your burden or you come take care of my burden. It's reciprocal. It's saying that if you see somebody that has a burden, then, then help them. But if you have a burden, allow other people to help you. We're, we're the body of Christ. There's not any who are, are, are better than the other or worse than the other. Earlier in the book, God says there is no, or, or Paul says there is no partiality with God. So this is bearing one another's burdens. It's, it's a reciprocal thing. And it's also continual. It's not a one-time thing. It's like I helped you with your burden. I'm checking you off the list, and I can move on to my, the next part of my, my spiritual walk or my spiritual journey. It's a continual thing. An interesting thing uh, in verse 2, which we'll see a little bit uh, later contrasted with what's in verse 5, but the word for burden here, um, I've got the the Greek word written down here, but I'm not a Greek student, so I won't uh, torture you with my my pronunciations. But the word here means a weight or a heavy load. The idea, it's used of like a ship's cargo, something that you can't lift by yourself. So when you see someone going through something that they can't handle themselves, Come alongside and help them out. But this last part, so fulfill the law of Christ, this is really interesting because back in chapter 5, Galatians 5.14, he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Sounds familiar, right? We, we've heard that a lot of different places throughout Scripture. In fact, in John 13, 34, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then similarly, in John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So the really interesting thing here is that we've got three statements that mean the same thing. The last part of that verse says, fulfill the law of Christ. And so those three statements are, are love your neighbor, bear one another's burdens, and fulfill the law of Christ. And so it really is explained. Moving on to verse 3, it says, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Uh, if, you, if you go back and you actually listen to uh, that teaching by Pastor Kenny, he talks about Paul has some very hard sayings. He doesn't have a way of beating around the bush. He's very, very direct. Um, so it's kind of like if you think you're something, you know, as you're starting to feel good about yourself and puff yourself up, he just pops a needle and is like, you're nothing. And a way that uh, John Stott put it, if that, if that isn't direct enough for you, um, he describes it as, we are rebels against the God who made us in his image, deserving nothing at his hand but destruction. It's kind of a reality check, and it's good for us to look at that and realize it, because I just asked the question, if we look back in the first two verses, if we're not willing to bear other people's burdens, is it because we think we're above that? Is it because, well, I don't, I don't have time to help that person, or that person doesn't need it? Or, I mean, we can all agree that when we see uh, certain people, maybe it's uh, children or other people who are, are very much in need. We have some of these reach initiatives coming in, and we can so clearly see the need that exists that our heart breaks and that we jump in. But it's a good question to ask us. If we will not bear, if we're unwilling to bear other people's burdens, is it because we think that um, that's too low of something for us to do, or that's not our task? So if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And the important thing is that he deceives only himself. Because if I think I'm something, you guys see right through it. You're, you're like, you know, you start to look foolish. Because you're, you're living in this world where you're, you're viewing yourself as, as something more than you are. Um, didn't think of this earlier, but it just, it just came to me right now. We're dealing with a, um, a time in our four-year-old's old, four-year-old's life, and, and he's kind of in that spot right now. You know, like, who are you? I'm like, well, I'm your, I'm your dad. <laughs> you know, but acting like, um, no, I don't have to do that. No, I can't do that. He, he thinks very highly of himself and hasn't realized, um, really had a real realistic expectation, a realistic definition of who he is. But moving on, verses 4 and 5 will kind of tie together, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. I talked about before, back in verse 2, there was the word that was used for, for burden was something that you needed help. It wasn't possible for one person to carry it by themselves. The word here, when it says, for each will have to bear his own load, uh, it's used to describe a man's pack that he just carries with him. Uh, usually a soldier who would carry his pack. He has to carry his own. Each soldier has to carry his own. So we do have a responsibility. Um, there is a definition, there, there is a, a difference in the two words being used. It's not a um, contradiction. There's two different words that are being used. 
But there's a few different things to point out in this. One is you cannot take credit for someone else's work. You must give account for yourself. Um, you cannot carry mine. I cannot carry yours. That's an easy thing to say, but as we start to look at things, even from the beginning of birth, you know, when my wife was pregnant with our kids, I could look at her and see how much discomfort she was in. I could desire all I wanted to take that burden from her and to take that part and take it upon myself, but it's not possible. She has to carry that. Moving on, uh, when Gray was, was two or three, I think, we had to take him to the emergency room because he had just a high, high, high fever. And again, as his parents, we wanted to be able to take that from him. We were like, we'll absorb the fever. We'll do it for you. But he had to go through it. We couldn't take it from him. He has to go through it. As you move on further in life, when somebody is, is coming upon the time of death, we can try to be there in comfort, but we can't face that for them. And same with us. When it's our time to face that time, we have to face it. But where this really starts to, to come even more clear is the, the final judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. This isn't a judgment of whether you're saved or not, but this is when you give an account for everything that you've done. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due. For what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So what we see is, you cannot claim someone else's faith or their works. It has to be for you. When, when it comes to that time, when we stand before the Lord and we give an account, we won't be able to take credit for, for somebody else. I won't be able to take credit for, for my wife's or my kids or my parents or, or anyone here. And same thing. Everyone gives their own account. And the works are judged accordingly. And so, really... The other thing that goes along with that is comparing. Comparison does, does no good. Because while it may seem like it means something here and now, if I compare something to, to you or my neighbor or somebody I know and say, well, I'm not in the same spot that they are, I'm, I'm not as bad as that, or I'm, I'm way worse than that, it doesn't mean anything. Because there really is only one standard when we stand before the Lord in the judgment, and it's not our neighbor. <laughs> you know, and it's not our family. So important for us to realize that. And then we move on to verse 6, which I'll be straight up with you. When God gave me this passage, I didn't know verse 6 was there. Um, and it's kind of interesting, this says, because it says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now saying that as the one who's teaching right now, that's really awkward. It's like, all right, so afterwards, I'm going to come down here, and you guys just give me whatever you think. Um, but really, it's important. Um, we are blessed at this church to have some really great teachers. You know, obviously, we're most familiar with Pastor Kenny. He's been here for 30-plus years. He's been faithful in teaching us the Word of God. We have been blessed. We have been changed. Our marriages have been impacted. Our, our parenting has grown. Our relationships have, have been healed. Many things have been, happen, have been happening from being under Pastor Ken's teaching. And it's important that just as you have your job, just as you have a skill and a craft that God has called you to do, and that that is how you provide, to realize that the people who have been put in charge of teaching the word at this church, at other church, wherever you're at, 
uh, they have that same calling. God has put this calling on their lives to devote time and energy to study the word, to learn it, to, to communicate it clearly so that we as a church body can benefit from it. And it really is important that we respond that way. Um, there's so many different um, explanations or ways that this is in, interpreted as far as what this means. Does this mean um, anything from make sure that you pay your preacher, make sure that you share all your belongings, make sure that you guys just have the same fellowship? I think that a lot of the times certain things aren't fully explained in Scripture because it's not, it's not this list. The, the thing is that we're supposed to be sensitive and we do know that we need to be sharing all things. So be thinking of that you know, and as you hear people, people teach, as you hear things, if you are benefiting from that, if God is working in your life through the teaching of that person, make sure that it doesn't go unnoticed. I think it's a very important thing in what he's saying. He then moves on to verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Um, is that big enough? I think this statement really speaks for itself. But I think we have to ask God the areas that, that we may be mocking him. You know, a mocking comes to when his word says something and we don't believe it or we do something contrary to that, it's mocking. And it's saying right here, God is not mocked. So it really, again, it really doesn't matter what you think because this is his word. It's living and active. It's true. And that's what's going to happen. You've heard Pastor Ken give several examples of, um, we'll, just, we'll see how you guys are doing. If you have an apple tree, what do you get? One person knows. Okay, if you have an orange tree, what do you get? Right. So we're getting these things. It's, I had a conversation with somebody else, and the thing is, that's, it's, it's a normal progression. That's how we function in life. Um, it works the same way, too. Uh, one time I was mowing the lawn, and I, went, I thought I was doing a good thing. I'm like, oh, I'm out of gas. I'm going to put more in it. Um, I got the blue tank. You guys know what that means? I didn't. <laughs> so I put it in there, and the lawnmower stopped working. Uh, I called my dad, and he's like, well, that's kerosene. That's not gas. Um, so I'm lucky you know, I, I didn't hurt myself. But the idea is that's, that's what you, you do. It's not like I'm going to grab the blue container and pour it in, and it's just going to be gas. Like, to do something the same time every time and expect something different is called insanity. So that's how we function, is why do I plant an apple tree? Because I want apples. Why do I harvest wheat in my field? Because I want wheat. Obviously, those things are very, very simple, but as we look into different areas of our life, so if I sow procrastination, does that mean I'm getting a lot done? If I sow bitterness, does that mean that I have love in my heart? So it's a very important yet simple principle that, that God is not mocked. When we read something in his word, whether it's anything that we've covered or things that we're going to move on to in a few moments, God is not mocked. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So moving on to verse 8, he expounds on this a little bit more by going back um, to chapter 5. Verse 8 says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. 
And I know you guys are familiar with this passage. Both of them, actually. They're both in chapter 5 when he really expounds on these. But basically, to sow to the flesh equals corruption. That's what he says. What does that mean? Um, here it goes. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's quite a list. And I think we would all agree that that doesn't sound, someone who's involved in all or any of those is not something that we really are going to want to spend a lot of time around. And that's kind of the point. You sow to the flesh and you reap corruption, which ultimately leads to death. And again, God is not mocked. If these are the things that you're involving yourself in right now, you would be called a fool if you think that it's not going to have an effect. It's kind of that principle that God offers forgiveness, but that doesn't mean that there's not consequences for our sins. That's something that we're, we're dealing again with our, our four-year-old is as when he does something, he kind of thinks it's this, this little game and that when he's in trouble, all he has to do is, is say, I'm sorry, and, that, and that's fine. And we've had to explain to him, like, we forgive you, but there's still consequences. And that's the same thing with the choices that we make in our lives. And so it, it really is, goes back to that warning, do not be deceived, because if these are the things, these are the seeds that you are, that you are sowing, that's what you're going to reap. But in order not to just end on a depressing note, there's followed up in Galatians 5, and 23. The other side of that is if you sow to the Spirit, the harvest is eternal life. And those verses say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Definitely a more positive, a more uplifting feel. Definitely more of the things that we want to be striving towards. But the thing I want to point out here is that you must choose one. You can't have both. You can't sow some flesh, some spirit. It, it doesn't work like that. And, and so it's important for us to realize and, and to use wisdom accordingly. If this is where we want to end up, if this is what we want our harvest to look like, then these are the things that we need to sow in this time that we have here. And so we could really go on that for a long time because this concept is, we can all relate to it. I'm sure all of us have examples of, of times that we were reaping the things that we want to sow and times that we were reaping things and realize at the end that that's not what we wanted. But moving on, verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Again, truth is truth. Whether you like it or not, truth is truth. A lot of times a Christian life is compared to the example of a farmer, especially when we talk about sowing and reaping, because they're very familiar with that. And sometimes sowing gets hard. In fact, if you sow long enough, it's going to be hard. Anything worth doing is going to be hard. And so there's going to be a temptation to, 
to give up. Sometimes we give up because our motivation's incorrect. Talking with a group of guys when we talked about, um, sometimes we think our heart is right, but when we start to be bitter, sometimes we start to come to the point of where just getting the job done, just doing our work is not enough. We still have this empty thing, and a lot of times it comes to our, our motivation. Um, and so we can grow weary that way. Sometimes we can just grow weary because it is hard. What this is saying is that God has said through Paul in the verses leading up to this, in due season you will reap. You may, you may not see it right away. You may not see it ever. I'm sure all of us have stories of, of sowing seeds in people's lives, whether it's sharing the gospel with people, whether it's things that we've done. We may not see but we can know and we can trust that in due season that we will reap. And uh, we had a speaker here probably a couple of years ago who said something that really kind of got to me. And uh, he was talking about seasons. And the thing about seasons is that you and I don't change them. You know, we can want to sow a seed and we can want to see that, that result. Or if, you've, if you're into, into gardening and planting, you can plant a bulb in the ground and you can want to see it. But the bottom line is it's not going to grow until it's the season for it to grow. But when it comes to seasons, we're not the one who, who changed them. All we can do is operate accordingly in the season that we're in. If you're in a season of sowing, then sow continually. If you're in a season of reaping, then reap. Someone else has sowed. You're getting to see the fruit of what they've done. And so the last verse, verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. Pretty straightforward, but just a, uh, one thing we want to point out, this is not an excuse to neglect others when it says especially those of the household of faith. That doesn't mean that when you see someone in need that you use that as an excuse of, well, I don't need to help you because you're not a believer. What it is telling us is, is similar in other parts of, of Scripture where it talks about caring for your family first. I know we've mentioned before that um, it's, it's been written to not have people overseeing, taking care of the church if they're not taking care of their own family. And it's, it's the same principle, that we want to make sure that we're taking care of one another. We've got ministries in the church that are like that. That's the whole vision, that's the whole thing behind our Helping Hands ministry, is that it would be the people in the church taking care of the people in the church. And so it's important that as we have opportunity. And there's going to be opportunity because we live in, in a broken world. So let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. So as I said, a few applications at the end that we kind of want to talk through. We talked about in the very beginning of this idea that Paul is continually giving some warning to, to not be deceived. Don't let yourself be deceived. Continuing to say that. And so how do we avoid deception? And I kind of feel like he tells us some ways that we can avoid deception through this passage as he's, as he's closing this book, as he's dealing with some, uh, this issue of grace um, and works. So the first thing that I get from that is, is be an active participant. Um, I can give an example from, from my own life, even. Uh, when my wife and I were first married, it was a crazy season for us. She worked a, a stay-at-home nanny job where she left on uh, Thursday morning and came back on Sunday afternoon. During that time, she was completely 
off-grid, uh, out of communication, anything. So we basically saw each other for you know, a few days. Um, bottom line, I would not recommend you start off your first six, of marriage, six uh, months of marriage like that. Uh, it's very difficult. It's very strenuous. It's very straining. But the reason I share that with you is because during that time, before that, when we were dating, when we were we engaged, we were involved in, in a small group in someone's home. We had community. We had connection. We were growing. After we got married and we were in that season of not hardly seeing one another, we started becoming very protective of our time, thinking it was a good thing, thinking that, you know what, I just got home. I haven't seen you for, for three days. Like, we're not going to go to group tonight because we just need some, we need some us time, which I think it's important. I think it's even more important now that we have kids, we need some us time. Um, but it's really ironic that that actually started causing some bigger problems because what we did was isolate ourselves. We weren't participating anymore. Sure, we were still going to church when we could on Sunday morning, but we were just kind of sitting in the back, hearing a service, and going home. We weren't actively participating. In the same way, you go back to the first verse that we talked about when we're supposed to to help one another uh, in our burdens. We need to be active participants. When you see a need, step up. That's what we're called to do. When you start neglecting, when you start seeing the need and doing nothing, you're really in danger of being deceived because now you are, you're not doing what God's called us to do. And the same thing, when you have a need, share it. I had a, a conversation earlier that really kind of um, went with this. Sometimes maybe, again, we're talking about seasons in life. Sometimes we're in a season where we're really pouring into people. We're the ones ministering. We're the ones teaching. We're the ones encouraging. And so we're used to that. And that's a good thing. Where it can be a bad thing is when we're the one who has a need, but we're so used to the one that's giving help that we don't ask for it because we're used to being on the other side of it. As the body of Christ, as believers, again, going back to what we talked about first, when it comes to sharing and one another's burdens, helping one another, it's a reciprocal thing. And being actively participating in things. When you see a person who has a need, when you see a ministry has a need, um, I'll probably say some stuff that will probably kind of ruffle some feathers. But when you are aware of a need in a ministry, Maybe it's here, maybe it's somewhere else. You're aware of it. You're able to fulfill it, but you, you stand by. You're on a dangerous path. We're called to be actively participating. Our faith is supposed to be active. And I found from my own life, as I just shared, that when we stop being active is when we're in danger of being deceived. Uh, a way that, that it was put in a book, a great, great book um, that I, I consult a lot, um, but they put it this way, the harvest will not be according to how much we know, but how much we sow. If we come on Sunday morning, we sit in our pew, the same pew that we always sit in, we hear the message, it's a great message, as we have a great teacher, and we sit there, we absorb it, and we leave, and it has no impact on what we do the rest of our week, it means nothing. It's not about how much we know. We can know a lot of things. You can read, you can study, you could do a lot of things, but, but we need to be active. So we need to participate. Another way that we can avoid deception is, is examine yourself more than others. 
when you find yourself spending more time seeing the faults of other people, again, I'm going to say you're in danger. It can be in your marriage. It can be at work. It can be here. It can be with neighbors. But really, if I can say this as bluntly as possible, there's only one person that we should be comparing ourselves to, and that's Jesus. Because when it comes to the end of our life, when it's all said and done, that's really the only thing that matters. You can be doing better than your neighbor. You can be doing better than your spouse. You can be doing better than, than anyone that you're sitting next to and start feeling better about yourself. Uh, and that'll last f- for a little bit. But in the end, really, it doesn't do anything. And we're not called to. So examine yourself more than others continuously. Not just a, a once, yeah, I'm good, but continuously examine yourself. Be honest with yourself and be open to that. By doing that, you will be less prone to being, being deceived. The third thing I'll put on there is, is continue to do good. And this one really... Um, I think it's really kind of hit, hit home a lot because I think we all have an area where we've been, we've been trying to do the right thing. We're like, Lord, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm doing what you told me to do and nothing's changing. I'm still confused. This person's still doing this. I'm still experiencing this. And the temptation is there to give up. You want to stop. You don't want to be going rebellion. You want to just stop doing things altogether. It's not making a difference either way, so we'll just forget it. And where it got really real for me is, as I said, we're, we're in an interesting time um, as we experience the, the world of toddlerhood um, and how they respond. And, and knowing, you know, we believe the Bible is true. You know, you reap what you sow. If we reap good things during this time, during this season, eventually, or if we sow good things, Eventually, we will reap in due season. But so many times, it, it's, it's hard. Um, partly, as Pastor Ken men- mentioned last Wednesday, toddlers don't reason. And so parents go crazy. But really, continuing to do good. And it was something that I was able, my wife and I were actually able to both find encouragement in. And really encouraging somebody. If you see somebody who's going through something and they just feel like throwing in the towel, really encouraging and exhorting them, continue to do good. It's not all in vain. Because the Bible says, in due season, you will reap. And you'll reap what you'll sow. If you give up now, there will still be a reaping. But it will be directly correlated to what you sowed. So going back to this whole idea, it said in the beginning that, that Galatians is really summed up in this message of we are saved by grace and not by works. If you go back to Ephesians 2.8, by grace through faith, and we know it, that's how we're saved. By grace through faith, Christ has set us free. But again, going back to, to kind of how we got here, but freedom abused is freedom lost. 
being set free is great, but it can also send you back into slavery. It can also, you can also be deceived, and now, now you're no longer living like a free person. Now you're back in this idea of, of as I said, slavery. Freedom abused is freedom lost. And really, that's where I come back to, to the title being what it is, being responsible with grace. We have grace. We didn't earn it. Nothing that we did was, was worth anything. We were saved by grace through faith. So we have that. But we need to be responsible with the grace we've been given as a body and together. We need to help one another not expect other people to, to just help us and not be willing to lift a finger. We've seen those, those types of, of people. You know, I have those numbers on my phone that I, I see them on my phone, and, and the only time they call is when they want something. <laughs> I, just, I just know it. I cannot hear from you for, for months, years. And when you call and you kind of want to think like, oh, it's, maybe it's different, but it, it's not. <laughs> it's a one-sided thing, and that's not what we're called to do. We're called to to share our burdens. We're called to be responsible. And not just so that we can do good things. Going back to that passage in 2 Corinthians, one day we will stand before the Lord. And we will give an account. And he's not mocked. One thing that I learned um, when I was playing music growing up and played in many bands. At one point I was playing in three different bands in Spokane. It was a crazy time in my life. And thought it was really cool. These are Christian bands. Every, every concert we had, we would have kind of an altar call, basically a gospel presentation doing that, and really kind of saying, that's our, that's our thing. That's what we do because we're a Christian band. And every time you would say it, it would be, it's all about, it's all about God as we would pray, as we would say things from stage, it's all about God. Um, granted, I was 19, 20, 21, 22 maybe, and as I got older, remember, God is not mocked. God started to show me, like, you, you did all these things. You said it was all these things, but it really wasn't for me. It was really about yourself. You, you thought it was cool when people come up to you and said, oh, it's so cool that you, you know, that you share the gospel, or it's so cool that you guys do this. And I'm like, yeah, it is. You know, there was a side of me that, that was really, really craving that. But again, I might be able to fool you, I might be able to fool somebody else, but when I come to the Lord and say, God, I did this for you, and he looks at me and says, no, you didn't, a conversation over. <laughs> like, what, what else do you have to say? Like, God knows everything. And he just says, like, no, that wasn't you. Or, that, that wasn't for me. That was all about you. When it comes to how you're functioning in, in your marriage, and you stand before the Lord and be like, I loved, I loved my wife as, you know, as Christ loved the church, as you called me to. And he says, no, you didn't. <laughs> That's why it's so important that we don't compare ourselves to one another. Because if that's the way that I function, then all of a sudden I'm not loving my wife or I'm not striving to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm striving to love my wife as so-and-so loves his wife. And it may be worse, it may be better. But either way, when it comes to what I'm called to do, what my job in being an actively participant in that relationship is, it really doesn't matter. But the point is that, as I said, we will one day stand before the Lord and we will give an account. 
So remember that God is not mocked. When we're not participating and we have every reason in the world, and sometimes there's good reasons. I'm not trying to get on anybody. As I said, um, I would actually really encourage people to, to kind of not make things as crazy when you first get married so that you really can focus on growing and doing things that you want to do. But not all of us are in that position. Some of us just have reasons, well, I'm tired, I don't want to do it, I have this, I have this, I have this. Um, it's not my responsibility, it's not our responsibility to, to really shoot holes in our reasons or give explanations or force you to give an explanation. But we just need to remember that God is a mock. He sees our hearts. He knows exactly what it was. We can fool one another. We can fool ourselves even. We can be deceived. But in the end, we really will. We'll reap what we sow. And so I hope that, uh, hope that's an encouraging thing to us because the idea is not to spend all the time on the negative things of, of talking about all the things that will cause us to reap corruption the idea is that we want to encourage one another to, to sow the Spirit. Sow the seeds of the Spirit continually. Do not give up. Don't grow weary. Continue to do good, knowing that in due season, there is a time in the coming, whether it is we leave this earth and then we stand before the Lord, or Jesus comes back, and then we give an account. We will give an account. We can know that. And so let's live according to that. Amen? God, we thank you so much, again, for your word. And Lord, I thank you so much that my word means nothing. The only thing that I can do is, is share what you've given me, Lord, that the things that you have shown me, the things that you have allowed me to experience, uh, and share them with others, hoping that you'll be able to use those things for your glory. God, and I thank you for the people that are here tonight, and I just pray that um, you just speak clearly tonight. Lord, if it's something that has nothing to do with anything that was said tonight, Lord, that your word is living and active, that your word would cut through everything to our hearts and touch the ears that need to be touched, God. We love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for your instruction, Lord. And as you've really just spoken to me, Lord, help us to be responsible with the grace that you have so freely given us, Lord. Just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.